morning, church. Welcome again to everyone that is joining us online today. We are just privileged to be able to spend this time together with you, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is all about Him and will be always be all about Him when we gather together. He is the center of our attention and affection, and He is worthy of it all. We glorify and exalt His name. If you believe that He is worthy of all praise and adoration, would you shout Amen as loud as you can? If you still believe that there is power in the name of Jesus, would you declare His name wherever you are? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much to our worship team this morning. That was so awesome. Thank you for your sensitivity. That was beautiful. Church, let's pray together. Father God, we gather this morning as your church in the name of Jesus. We commit this word and the fruits that we bear from it to you. Father, as we study your beautiful word this morning, we ask that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what it is we need to develop in our own lives for the hour the church finds itself in. We ask that you would remove any lukewarmness from our lives and that you would catapult us into the destiny that you have for each of us. As you usher the church into a new era, we pray that we would tap into your presence every step of the way, listen to your every instruction, hear your heartbeat so that your perfect will would come to pass. Frontline Church is your church. We are your people. Come and have your way in us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you this morning, family and friends. Today we are in week four and the final week of Vision Month here at Frontline. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at some very important fundamentals and foundations with regards to the original purpose and design of the church. In week one, we saw how essential the church is to our society and how essential it is to this world and how important it is for us to gather together. We started with a foundational statement in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And no matter what the enemy unleashes on the church, no matter how hard he tries to kill its purpose, the church that Jesus builds will prevail. It is indestructible. It is not going anywhere. And that revelation that Peter had of Jesus being the Christ in Matthew six, uh, chapter 16 would be the very foundation on which the church would be built. A foundation that every true church should have and use as its cornerstone. In week 2 and 3, we spoke about the church that Jesus prayed for. We looked at John chapter 17 and what Jesus himself prayed to the Father. Jesus was praying for his followers, those who were following him in the beginning and all those who would follow him in the future. He was praying for his church, which includes us as the church of today. And in John chapter 17, we find that there are four marks of a true church, four characteristics that every true church should have. And we noted that the church that Jesus prayed for should be a church that lives for His glory, one that communicates and lives the absolute truth in the Word of God, one that would infiltrate the world around us, rescuing souls from it 
and one that would emulate his love to one another in our church, into our communities, and to cities and nations. And it is our desire as his church here at Frontline to become all that he prayed for. A church where people do life together. And a place that is so authentic in its love for one another that others want to become a part of it. And in doing so will naturally be transformed by it. That's the power of the church that Jesus prayed for and speaks about in Scripture. Church, today I want to speak to you about the empowered church. The empowered church. As has been communicated from this pulpit over the past couple of weeks, the Lord is leading us back to an authentic church expression that truly resembles Jesus Christ here on this earth. That means that the church is going to be different to what we used to before, but not just for the sake of being different, for the sake of king and kingdom, for the sake of our King Jesus and for the kingdom that he spoke about. It is our, our uh, heart to please the Lord and to represent him the way that he deserves. And if we are united in that same purpose, which is to please him and to represent his nature, and in the process, constantly using the word of God as our guide, we are on the way to becoming the church that God wants. And in this process, we will have to rely on two major things. The word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In my time of preparation over the past couple of weeks, I have felt the Lord leading me to start a series on the book of Acts. You find great guidance in this book as to how the, the church should be operating and flowing, what gifts and offices should be developing and operating in the church, and how the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to be clear this morning, church, that we're not looking to copy and paste the church in the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit might lead us to do something different in this season, but there is great guidance in this book, and it's in the Bible for a reason. And so we're going to trust the Lord to guide us and teach us what He wants from us as we go through these chapters together. It may take us a couple of months to get through the book, but that's okay. Because I believe we will all be better equipped in our journey of becoming the church that He has called us to be. So today will be an introduction to the book of Acts. And as the Lord leads us in the weeks and months to come, we will dig deep into this amazing book where ordinary men and women, just like us, were transformed to become mighty ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please open to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, go and grab it quickly because I'd like you to make as many notes as possible because in the time that we're going to be spending together, in most instances, we are going to be going verse by verse. As an introduction to this book, we have to take notes of the fact that the book of Acts is really the sequel to the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. In the gospels, as we know, we are introduced to the Messiah of Israel. He's been predicted in the Old Testament and introduced as the main character. We see all the promises made in the New Covenant. The Old Testament are now unfolding before our eyes. We see what He does. We hear what He says. 
all the miracles he performs and how he confronts the religious leaders of the day. We get so engrossed in this amazing story, but then the main character predicts that he's going to die. That adds some tension to the story, but then he says, I'm going to rise from the dead three days later. So we think, that's okay, that, that sounds better. I'll hang in for that. But then we finally come to that Passion Week when Jesus is handed over, he's betrayed, he dies on a cross, but then is raised from the dead. Most amazing story ever. It's so awesome, but then he leaves. He ascends into heaven. And most of the gospel accounts close with the idea that he vanished from their sight. The end. And if you had to look at that in isolation, you could say, well, now what? That was an amazing story that happened, but what's going to happen next? And so we have the sequel to the gospel accounts in the book of Acts. In fact, most biblical scholars will agree that the gospel of Luke is volume one and Acts is volume two of Dr. Luke's writings. The gospel of Luke parallels the gospel of Matthew and Mark John is its own entity, very different from the three synoptic gospels, but the sequel of Luke is in the book of Acts. Because look at what it says in the opening paragraphs in Acts chapter 1. I'll show you that first, and then I'll show you what it says in in Luke chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You'll notice that he's writing to a fellow named Theophilus, right? So keep your place here, keep your marker there, And go back in your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which we have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were our witnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Same author writing to the same person. The question that scholars have wrestled with throughout history is, who is Theophilus? Is he a person or is Luke referring to something else? And because the name Theophilus is a Greek name that means lover of God or one who loves God, some commentators have said, well, Luke is writing to all people who love God. They say it's a general form of greeting to all lovers of God. That's one thought. The other thought, the other idea I lean toward is that because that is an actual name that he's writing about or writing to, rather than to a group of people generically, is that Theophilus was the master of Luke or as some would say, the former master of Luke. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, I thought Luke was a doctor. How could he be someone's, someone's slave? He was a doctor, but 2,000 years ago, doctors were very different from the doctors of today. 
2,000 years ago, doctors were slaves. They were owned by people. And how times have changed, right? Where doctors used to be owned by people, now you feel like, I think my doctor owns me with all the medical bills that I get. So Theophilus was probably the wealthy master patron that owned Luke or employed Luke, if that is easier for you to get your head around. And at some point, Theophilus came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as his master. And though Dr. Luke was working for Theophilus, Theophilus released Luke to become friend and traveling companion with Paul. So having said this, we can say with some certainty that Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And we'll see when we get to Acts chapter 16 how Luke becomes a part of the story and how the narrative changes from the third person to the first person. Because instead of Luke saying they did this and he did that, suddenly right, right after an incident in chapter 16, it says, and we went here and we went there and we did this. And from that point on, Luke includes himself in the writing in the first person and not the first and not the third. And church, it's important for us to set this foundation for us because Dr. Luke's two-volume series, part one and part two, Luke and the book of Acts, are pivotal in our understanding of the origins of Christianity and the sequel to that, the development and the empowering of the early church. It's good to bring some context to who the writer is, and I, I really don't want us to just rush through this book. I want us to go deep together so that we can emerge together with lasting fruit. Amen? Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. Key word here, began. Both to do and teach. Church, the word began suggests that the work of Christ is not over. This is what Jesus began to do and teach, referring to the gospel of Luke. And what Jesus continues to do and teach is in the book of Acts. And you may say, well, how does he do that? Jesus left. He, he ascended into heaven. He's not with us anymore. How can Jesus continue to do and teach anything if he left and he went to heaven? Answer? the Holy Spirit that he promised. Jesus said, I'm leaving. It's expedient that I go because if I don't go, I can't send you the helper. If I send the helper, he's going to teach you all things. He's going to instruct you and he's going to be another helper just as I was to you. So church, the implication, and this is significant, the implication is that the book of Acts is not a closed book. When we get to Acts chapter 28 and the book's, book closes, that's fine. But it's still going on. Because Jesus is still working throughout history in the lives of his people. We are the empowered church. The Holy Spirit is still present. The Holy Spirit is still infusing us, indwelling us, and empowering us. Amen? And I just love the thought that the book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do and continues to to teach so the finished work of Jesus was on the cross right the work of Jesus continues through the new generation this one and the next one and the next one all the way down to our generation and all those in the future so we become those 
you become those whom the Holy Spirit indwells and empowers. Look at verse 3 with me. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now what's interesting in this part of the text is there's a bit of information that the book or the gospel accounts do not include. The gospels say that Jesus took them to the Mount of Olives. He blessed them. He ascended into heaven and they returned to Jerusalem with, with great joy. But here we are given a little more information into a time period. For 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, until the time he ascended into heaven, he is teaching his disciples. He continues teaching them and speaking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now I want you to notice in that verse that we just read, that little phrase, many infallible proofs. We know that the disciples were convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the son of God, that he was God the Lord, principally because of his, of his resurrection from the dead, all the miracles that he did and what he claimed himself to be. But then after Jesus rose from the dead, they saw for 40 days infallible proofs. This is important. They saw things that they experienced subjectively, but because they were not the only ones to see and experience in them, they were objective, hence infallible. And what do I mean by that? You see, if one person experiences something or claims to experience something, how do you know it's true? You don't really know. So if somebody says to you, I saw a pig flying through the sky, at best you're going to say, listen, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that with me. But you will dismiss it because those things don't happen. But if you get two, you get three, you get four and twelve, saying we saw exactly the same thing at exactly the same time, you go, okay, that's a different story. Because if one person says, you know, he or she saw something, you could say, well, that is a hallucination, right? Psychologists will tell us that hallucinations can happen, but they can't happen to a group of people. If everybody sees the same thing and experiences the same thing at the same time, it's not a hallucination or not a product of your private imagination. Now you have something objective because there are several eyewitness accounts. So Jesus appeared and taught his disciples, but Paul said, not only that, he also appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection at one time. So if you were a skeptic, you could say, well, you know, Peter had a hallucination or, or perhaps John did. But if all 12 said, I saw it too, and then you get 500 that say, we saw him show up on this day at this place saying these things, now you have something that's not subjective anymore, it's infallible, right? And these infallible proofs involve Jesus showing up on many different occasions. For instance, Jesus showed up in the room where they were meeting without even going through the door. He didn't walk through the door, he didn't crawl through the window, he just appeared. And they, they saw that, they saw it together. On another occasion, they ate a meal with him. They fellowship together with him. On other occasions, he spoke to them. They heard his voice. 
And on all these occasions are being corroborated because many people are seeing it and hearing it together. Thomas John was one of them and this is what he was referring to in 1st John chapter 1 verse 1 when he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life Jesus so for 40 days Jesus showed up he taught them he ate with them spent time with them amongst many other things and one of the most significant of these occasions is given to us in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When you think about the gospel accounts, when Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel to every creature. What do we call that? We call it the Great Commission, right? So you can imagine when Jesus tells them, I want you to go into all of you on a mission, you have to imagine that their excitement is at an all-time high. They were ready to go. They were ready to conquer the world. I'm sure they had some nerves. They were a bit nervous and a bit scared but they had just been with the creator of this world so their zeal was over the top however with their zeal over the top in all of that excitement they could be tempted to just sprint out the door and go and do what Jesus asked them to do in the work or in the energy of their own flesh so Jesus says go but don't go yet he says to them wait and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, church, why does he tell them to wait for the Holy Spirit? Why should they wait? Let me give you an example. If you wanted to be a helicopter pilot in the Air Force, wouldn't it be a crazy thing if the Air Force said to you, okay, now that you've done your years and now that you've earned your stripes, you have to purchase your own helicopter. You would say, well, I can't do that. I don't have the money to do that, but I didn't sign up for that. I thought you would provide the equipment to do the job. Or if you're a soldier in the army and they said, you know, there's really a good deal on military clothing and weapons, but you have to buy them yourself, that would never happen. They will give you the equipment to do the job they're asking you to do for your country. So Jesus is commissioning them to go out into all the world, but don't go yet. Wait, he says, until you are filled with power from on high. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the necessary equipment to do the job. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the necessary equipment to become the empowered church. And we pray that we would become that type of church. Church, I'm very excited to share so much more with you, but I haven't felt led to, to go any further this morning. But what I do want to say in, clo in closing is that without the Holy Spirit, we can puff ourselves up with as much knowledge as possible. 
We can speak with as much elegance as possible and put all kinds of structures into place, but without Him, without the, the Holy Spirit, all our efforts will fall short. And this is important for where we find ourselves because as we enter into a new season in our church, as we prepare ourselves for what the Lord wants to pour out, we must all be aware that we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. We don't want to run ahead without Him. And we are going to be purposeful to focus and rely on what I said earlier. The Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We are going to walk circumspectly, tapping constantly into His presence and praying for His guidance and trusting Him to empower us for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mandate that He has for our church. We believe in volume one, right? We believe in the origins of Christianity, the Gospels. And it is our heart to believe and operate fully in the fullness of volume two, the empowering of the church by the Holy Spirit. Can someone say amen? As I mentioned, today is just an introduction to this series. So I want to ask you to come to church next week as we delve even further into this amazing book of the Bible as we go deep together so that we can emerge together with, with lasting fruit. Amen? I'm going to call up Pastor Ronald to share some important information regarding our church gatherings going forward. Look forward to seeing you next week, church. God bless you and your family. Good morning, church. Are you excited to be part of this kind of church? I'm really excited. So we're excited for next week's Sunday, 7th of March, where we will be gathering together here at Frontline. Over the last month, we have heard that the church is essential. The gathering of the church is essential. You are essential. And so this is an invitation to our partners, our friends, our family, and even to those who have potentially just joined recently online. We want to invite you to come and be part of this. This is a significant time for the church. We believe that we are going to model a church that will be sustainable, equipped, and empowered should the doors of the church be shut again should persecution come that the church will be deployed to fulfill a mandate because let me remind you you and I are the church so how will this work on Sunday everyone is welcome and we will have various venues across our campus whereby we will get together and we will worship together. We will receive the word. There will be opportunity for ministry, for prayer, for fellowship. Whereby we will tap into what the Spirit is saying and be led by Him. That we will make ourselves available to receive the outpouring of new wine new oil and the fire of God 
We also want to let you know something important. Um, from this coming Sunday, we will no longer be live streaming our services. And this live streaming has been an amazing tool that has been used up until now during the lockdown season. But church, can I say that watching TV on a screen is not the way God intended it to be. And so it is time for the church to gather and for the church to arise. For us to shake off religion and complacency and lukewarmness and together. For us to find ourselves back in the house of God with corporate worship, corporate prayer, fellowship, testimonies, building each other up, being together in unity. For us to be able to be part of the corporate anointing that comes when the saints gather in His name. And so this is an invitation to each one. I want to assure you that we will do everything we need to to maintain all protocol. We're asking that when you come on Sunday that you respect each other. No hugging. Let's maintain social distance. We want everyone to feel comfortable when they walk into our buildings. And we're going to do whatever we can to ensure that. We're also aware, church, that many have been watching our online services from different countries across the world. And you're important to us. So we will ensure that our word is recorded and it is made available to you throughout the course of every week on our YouTube channel so that you do not miss out and that you can continue to feel like you are part of Frontline Family. So that will be continued um, for those who cannot be here. Church, we're excited. We're excited for what God has in store for the church and for us at Frontline. And I just want to end off with reading a, a scripture this morning from Hebrews chapter 10, 25. The Passion Translation puts it beautiful. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. Because we need each other. We need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onwards as we anticipate that day that is approaching. So church, we're excited. We're going to see you next week here at Frontline. Come expectant. Prepare your hearts. God is doing something new in this season. I want to bless you. Bless your families this week. May you experience God's leading. And may his voice be amplified in your life this week. May you experience the goodness of God. And we bless you and your family.